0: Yeah. It is Thursday, May 14th here in Draft Shark Studios in Rochester, New York. Welcome to the Fantasy Football Podcast. I'm your host, Matt Schauff. With me, as always, is Jared Smola, and it is time, Jared. We are live.
1: We are live. Projections, rankings, MVP board. Had the projections party yesterday virtually of course i think it it lacked a little juice i guess you know not not being in the same room as you but you know we we argued we got our we got our stuff done. we got the rankings set for now they'll of course be changing you know from now right up until week one
0: I have to try to talk over people a little bit less when we're doing it virtually than i do when we're doing it live but as you said we did have our projections party yesterday we did argue out the initial rankings we did make sure that nobody left completely happy we Now you can go to DraftSharks.com, you can see all the projections, you can start building your customized MVP board. We're going to focus today on some of the more controversial players from that virtual meeting, the guys that we might have argued about, or even guys that we mostly agreed on, but we differ on uh, versus consensus, so... We'll look at some of those guys. All of these guys that we talk about should be players of interest for fantasy owners in 2020. We'll go position by position. Jared, let's start at quarterback. And Kyler Murray is not, not a guy that we argue hard about, but I know that we disagree on some, and I'll, I'll let you start with him.
1: Yeah, I think I think we agree that Kyler is a fade at his current cost. So, you know, that, that's good. I, I think... Um... I'm a bit higher on him than you, though. Maybe just as far as like how high his his ceiling extends, I think that might be the difference between us. Um, I, I just I just look at the overall body of work so far. I guess you know I think Kyler Murray obviously was a high end prospect coming into the league, the number one overall pick. Really had a, a strong rookie season. You know, if you just look at rookie quarterbacks over the past ten years, he was sixth in passing yards, tenth in passing touchdowns. And then of course fifth in rushing yards. He has that rushing upside too. So you, you take all that. And you give him what you know. I, I think is a top three wide receiver in the NFL, and DeAndre Hopkins. And it's it's interesting. I think we don't often see like top three, you know, these elite talent wide receivers changing teams. So you know, it's not a ton to, to go off of as far as what it's going to mean for the quarterback. But I just think Kyler, the type of player he is, now adding DeAndre Hopkins, I I, I do think you know it, it would not surprise me at all if he finishes finishes the season as the number three quarterback in fantasy.
0: It's interesting you say that because we did just have Odell Beckham switch teams last offseason. I don't know, like with his injury situation over the summer that we didn't find out about until December, that that makes it less of a comparison. I think uh, just on the DeAndre Hopkins front first, since that's where he finished, a lot of times we see good wide receivers go to a new place and not just pick up right where they left off. So, I mean, I, I probably am not expecting as much of DeAndre Hopkins just continuing to be the same DeAndre Hopkins as everybody else is, But for Kyler Murray, I think it's really more of a difference on his floor than his ceiling. Because I I mean, I think his ceiling reaches to the top of the position if everything goes right for him. It's just that in the range where he's going, and I love the player, I I loved him last year coming into the league. I think that the fantasy upside is there. I just don't love where he's going. And I have to take him, um, in order to draft him, I would have to probably take him ahead of Dak Prescott, which I'm definitely not doing. It's not even something that you're arguing for, but I'd also have to take him ahead of Russell Wilson and Deshaun Watson. And to me, Russell Wilson and Deshaun Watson are already matured, realized versions of what we are hoping that Kyler Murray is going to be. So at the range where they're all going in the draft, you know, let's just, let's forget for a second that I would rather wait and take a quarterback later. Anyway, if I'm looking for a quarterback in that range, I would rather take one of those guys that I know what to expect from this season rather than the guy that I'm hoping I can expect this from.
1: Yeah. And again, I don't think we're too far off here. I I do think Kyler belongs in that Russell Wilson, Deshaun Watson price range of drafts, which isn't where he's going. He tends to go two rounds ahead of those guys. Now I would take Kyler over Russell Wilson and Deshaun Watson. But again, I think, you know, that that's, that's the tier he belongs in.
0: Mm -hmm. I, I agree with that. Jimmy Garoppolo was the next quarterback on our list to go over. I mean, there are other guys that we could quibble about in between, but we're talking about guys that actually make moves. And and Jimmy Garoppolo is one that came out higher for me in my projections than I would have guessed going in, because I've never been a Jimmy Garoppolo supporter. I was arguing him down last year, not high on him. The low volume is the thing that jumps out to you first on him, but he was an efficient passer last year. His first full starting season, by the way. I'm um, fourth in the league in completion rate, seventh in the league in passing touchdown rate, third in yards per pass attempt, 12th in fantasy points per pass attempt. So if the volume comes up at all, I mean, we're talking about a guy who has been efficient in limited duty to this point, and he was efficient last year despite a, a fairly iffy pass catching core. I mean, Debo Samuel was basically his top wide out. They had about a half a season of Emmanuel Sanders, who was also dealing with injury during some of that. George Kittle missed two games, played through injury and some others. They've added Brandon Ayuk in round one. So I think when you put it all together, Jimmy Garoppolo is not a guy that I look at and say, oh, yeah, I want some Jimmy G this year. But when he the way he came out in my numbers, I looked back at it and I was like, yeah, all right, it makes sense
1: yeah i mean the the issue for me is you know even with that super efficiency garoppolo finished only 23rd among quarterbacks in fantasy points per game it's, and you know it's because he had the low volume because he doesn't add anything with his legs which hurts that's sort of the, the funny thing about doing projections too it's like it, when a guy has a season as efficient as as garoppolo did last year it's almost like you tend to hold it against them because it's it's tough for me at least to project him to be that efficient again i do still think that he's good enough. And I, I, you know, I I just, I think Kyle Shanahan might be the best offensive mind in the game. So I think when you put, you know, that together and and Kittle returning and Debo returning and adding Iuke, I do still think Garoppolo should be more efficient than league average, but I know when I did my projections, I did, you know, project some of that efficiency stuff to come down. I projected the volume to be about the same. And again, you don't add much rush, uh, much rushing numbers with Garoppolo's projection. So, you know, for me, he came out outside my top 20 quarterbacks.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think that the volume's coming up for him because I don't think that they're, they're going to go thirteen and three again next season. I, I don't know how much the volume matters, but we'll see. And the the reason for me that he's not somebody that I'm arguing to push up to where I had him is. I mean, look at the other guys in that range. It's like Matthew Stafford, Baker Mayfield, Ryan Tannehill. Am I going to sit here and say, no, Jimmy Garoppolo is definitely going to outscore Daniel Jones and Ryan Tannehill this year? No, I just don't feel that strongly about any of them. They're all just kind of in a pool. And if I'm looking to draft somebody in that range, I'm probably just like waiting for the last one or two that are available and grabbing whoever that is.
1: Right, exactly. I mean, he's, he's mostly a victim of the depth of quarterback. And even for me, you know, I'm lower on Garoppolo. If I'm in a best ball and I'm, you know, waiting on my quarterback too, he he's still in that group. I feel fine about as my second quarterback, even because you know he is locked in as a starter. And even last year, you know, he did I know have some pretty big ceiling weeks.
0: Yeah, if last year showed us anything, it's that we need to start him against the Cardinals.
1: Yes, yes, for sure.
0: Derek Carr is another guy in in that range, and just like Jimmy Garoppolo, he's not a quarterback that you get excited about at all, unless you're his brother. But Similar to Jimmy Garoppolo, Derek Carr is coming off career highs in completion rate and yards per pass attempt from last season, and he did that despite a pretty terrible wide receiver situation with the Raiders that we've addressed before. I mean, uh, Antonio Brown imploded in the preseason. Tyrell Williams started out fine, and then he had to play through plantar fasciitis for most of the year. The Raiders then have worked hard on improving really the whole team, but even just focusing on offense, they drafted Henry Ruggs, they drafted Brian Edwards. In the backfield, they added Lynn Bowden, who is a pass-catching running back. We'll see if he's a running back, but he was a receiver and a quarterback in college. They signed Devonte Booker, who I think is a goofball signing but it's at least a pass catching running back so they're trying and then Jason Witten the tight end again one of those signings that didn't make a whole lot of sense to me but it's another accomplished receiver at tight end so they're trying to give more pieces to Derek Carr or Marcus Mariota if Derek Carr stumbles
1: right exactly I mean, and and i'm i'm still not totally comfortable like how high Carr landed in our rankings you know he's not he's not in the top 10 i think i think he's like 17th or 18th um, but I do think when you dig into him and this offense a bit more, it does make some sense. For starters, like like you said, he he was actually pretty good last season, at least better than a lot of people think. Um, you know, if you look at the 27 quarterbacks last year with 300 plus pass attempts, Car ranked second in completion rate, second in adjusted completion rate, seventh in yards per attempt, seventh in quarterback rating. Pro football focus had him 8th among those 27 quarterbacks in their passing grade so I think he's still you know a capable quarterback and like you talked about all those weapons they've added I mean I think I think people look at like Denver as a team that really invested in their offense this season you know I think the Raiders aren't too far behind when you look at adding two wide receivers and a running back in the draft taking a running back in the first round and Josh Jacobs a year ago so it's actually a pretty good group of skill guys around Carr right now
0: when Derek Carr comes up on your MVP board and you're you know looking for a quarterback two, instead of saying, oh, I got to go get Carr now because he just popped up on the MVP board. I think what you do is look at where he is and say, okay, I can wait another round or two and probably still get Derek Carr as my QB two and I'll be just fine.
1: Right. I mean, he's probably not, not even going to get drafted in like lineup setting drafts for the most part. Um, and then, yeah, in best ball, you know, he, he tends to be like one of the last locked-in starters to come off the board. So I do think he's a guy you can definitely weigh down and just scoop up.
0: Over to running back, and I think this was really the first player of significant controversy at the projections party, and it is Kenyon Drake in just this offense that I don't think we're going to stop arguing about uh, (laughs) this entire offseason. So Kenyon Drake, kind of similar to Kyler Murray for me, I like Drake, I don't like him sixth where he came out initially in your PPR ranking. So why don't you start with the case for Kenyon Drake?
1: Yeah, and I didn't even like Drake up at sixth, but I think I think we bumped him down to eighth in PPR, which which is about where I would take him right now. Um, I, mean, I I've just I've loved this player for a while now, and it's funny because back when Drake came out of Alabama and you know the Dolphins made that pick, I, I thought it was a reach, but you know I've changed my mind on him. I, I think he he's proven he's he's the guy's been good whenever he's been giving a chance been given a chance. Um, Four point eight yards per carry for his career over the past four seasons. Now that's eighth best among 51 running backs with 300 plus carries. And the majority of that came on bad dolphins teams. I think Drake finally over the second half of last season, when he was traded to Arizona, found himself in a good spot and he was awesome. Um, Over those final eight games, 643 rushing yards, eight rushing touchdowns, 28 catches, 171 receiving yards. He was fourth among running backs in PPR points over that span.
0: And he was the key reason that Arizona's rushing offense ranked second in D- in Football Outsiders DVOA last year by the end of the season. I, I like Drake. I want to like him up high. I-, I want to you know be comfy with him as a top ten running back. And really, before I say anything else about him, he's in this kind of nebulous range where I can't say no. You're an idiot for having Kenny Drake at eight because Austin Eckler should be there. I mean, it's a- this whole range of guys that have either not done it for that long or who are coming back down the other direction. So I, I, I'm I, not planting my flag so much with other guys around Drake. Now, my two key issues with him are he has yet to eclipse 170 carries in the NFL. That came after a college career where he topped out at 106 touches, uh, never got beyond 92 carries in a college season. And even back to high school, his senior year of high school where he was the Georgia a uh, Gatorade Player of the Year. He had 173 carries, 24 receptions. So even then, he wasn't a workhorse. Now, does that mean he can't handle it for a season? Of course not. And if we just treat it as a weekly game, and you say, "All right, I'll take the workhorse to begin the season," and you know maybe he's not even necessarily a workhorse in the beginning, but I'll take the clear lead back for Arizona, and I'll worry about his durability later in the season after I've gotten fantasy points from him. So my question then is are the Cardinals going to make him a workhorse type? He averaged 15.4 carries per game with the Cardinals last year. That number was driven up by a couple of really big weeks, 22 and 24 carries in weeks 15 and 16. Otherwise, he hit 16 carries once, I believe, 15 carries one other time. So do they really plan on having him average that much, or is he going to be more like, you know, 14, half carries per game? And what about the offense overall? 21st in yards last year, 16th in carries, 16th in yards per play. So it's not that I dislike Drake. It's that there are these several questions that are kind of nagging at me in the first half of the second round which is where I would have to take him.
1: Yeah, I mean, you're right that he's never been a workhorse in the NFL. I think he, he's done it for stretches like, you know, he had the eight games mm-hmm. last year, there were times in Miami were like three or four game stretches he'd be getting you know 15 or so carries per game I think he has the size to be a lead back you know he's like 210 215 pounds and really he, he struggled with injuries at Alabama but he has been very healthy as a pro so far and you know even even our projections I think we have him for like 220 carries that that's like you know, thirteen and a half, fourteen carries per game, which I, I think is plenty doable. I think he's gonna to continue to do, you know, a bunch in the passing game. You know, he was almost on pace for sixty catches in his half season with the Cardinals last year. And I and yeah, I am I am high in this Cardinals offense. I think what they did last year with a rookie quarterback and a first year head coach and now again they add DeAndre Hopkins. I do think, you know, this offense has the potential to really explode this season.
0: I don't I don't see the exploding potential. I'd say that there's upside, but they have they haven't impressed me yet. So I think that's probably our key difference on these Cardinals, but I hope that yeah. I am uh, wrong about Drake. He's a lot of times when we disagree on a player, you know, it motivates one or both of us to be like, all right, let's bet it. That's not me for Kenyon Drake. I'm not like, "Oh, I'm, I bet that Kenyon Drake is going to finish below these guys.
1: That's too bad. Cause I would like to bet on Kenyon
0: Drake. <laughs> We've got other bets coming up. <laughs> we'll move on to Nick Chubb in the backfield though. And I had to argue him up the rankings yesterday. Uh, so, I mean, first of all, Nick Chubb is terrific. He was highly productive last year. He had more 90-yard rushing games than Derrick Henry. He had nine of those to seven for Derrick Henry. He had more 100-yard games than Derrick Henry, seven of those to six for Henry. And he did it behind a Cleveland line that we talk about as being weak, but the Browns actually, actually ranked 10th in adjusted line yards last year. According to Football Outsiders, they were 18th the year before. 14th the year before that there was really a weakness at tackle but they addressed that so Jack Conklin they signed in free agency they drafted Jedrick Wills in round one so they replaced both of their tackles like the interior of the line is in good shape other issue is Kareem Hunt coming into the fold last year and Kareem Hunt cut way into Nick Chubb's targets mm-hmm. but even after Kareem Hunt was, in, was on the field, Chubb still saw about 70% of the Browns' carries the rest of the way. He was averaging 18 carries per game. And now we get a new coaching staff that has been or was uh, run heavy in Minnesota with Kevin Stefanski being the offensive coordinator there, now the head coach here. And he came in talking up Nick Chubb. He said, first of all, he said about both of those guys, he said, those two guys are jumping off the tape about Chubb and Kareem Hunt but Chubb specifically he says Nick Chubb man wow the tape is so impressive
1: Yeah I mean that, that that's and that's that's my issue with Chubb here and you know this is this is the second straight year I've come in low on Nick Chubb in my projections which I which I hate cuz I, I think he's an awesome player I think this Browns offense is, is gonna bounce back and be you know basically I think what people thought it was going to be last year I think with the new coaching staff and the o-line upgrades that this the whole offense is gonna bounce back so it is a bit scary being low on Nick Chubb but Kareem Hunt is my concern. He he talked about the uh, numbers for Chubb with and without Kareem Hunt. He went from 19.3 and four targets per game, 19.3 carries and four targets to 18 carries and 2.1 targets. He was, Chubb was running back five in PPR points over those first eight games. He was, you know, just in in quotes running back 14 in PPR points over the final eight. And, you know, 14 is about where I would put him in my rankings. Um, It's just no one else in that, you know, say top, 12 running backs have a player that you know the quality of cream hunt behind him you know i just think that that threat of hunt maybe stealing a bit more this season which i think is more possible under a new coaching staff i think that just adds some more unknown to the equation um so i, I think the threat of hunt has me shying away from chubb at his current adp
0: I mean, it was also the previous coaching staff that uh, brought in Kareem Hunt to begin with. So to me, Nick Chubb is just the better runner, and I think he's going to be the clear rushing leader. And the the reason that I'm more willing to go ahead and bet on him in that range is because I think he's a better player than most of the other guys that we're talking about in that range. And I, I think that he is capable... Of just, you know, delivering like even a Derrick Henry type season from last year where we don't usually take a running back that high that doesn't catch enough passes, but we can get away with it if that guy is scoring double digit touchdowns and giving us, you know, 90 rushing yards a week. I think that's Nick Chubb, especially if the Cleveland offense does rebound.
1: Yeah, our our difference here is definitely Cream Hunt because I'm with you. I think Nick Chubb's awesome. I think Kevin Stefanski is gonna you know come in and, and run the ball more than Cleveland did last year. Um, but again, I, I just think Cream Hunt is a really good running back. So if you um, over the final eight games of last season when Hunt returned, Nick Chubb over that span ranked sixth among 47 qualifying running backs in PFF's elusive rating. Kareem Hunt was second over that span. I I, I just think he's a really good running back, and I, I think it would make sense to you know, have this be, you know, something closer to like 1A, 1B than just, you know, Nick Chubb getting like
0: 75% of the touches. I guess we'll see. Uh, David Johnson is the next running back. And I think somebody that we have more of a disagreement on as a player. So I guess, why don't you first give me the case for why David Johnson was way too high in your rankings?
1: (laughs) So he's a guy if, you know, before I started doing projections, I would, I was just completely avoiding in drafts. I hadn't really dug into his, his season or what his situation looked like. In Houston, but then after I dug in, I, I do think there's at the least upside. And there's obviously still a risk with David Johnson because he, he did look washed up over the final two-thirds of last season. Um, but he was also dealing with back and ankle injuries over that span. He was better over the first five games before that back injury first became an issue. David Johnson averaged 4.1 yards per carry, 10.3 yards per catch over those first five games so you know i, I think it, 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 it's a question how much gas he still has left in the tank but i think you know he's only 28 years old he's not you know he's not in his prime but he's you know he hasn't hit that like h30 yet where you really got to worry about a guy dropping off david johnson also only has two nfl seasons of big workloads you know that makes me feel a bit better in it but i think most importantly the texans believe david johnson still has has plenty to give i mean they they basically flipped deandre hopkins for him straight up which is a stupid move but i think it you know tells you how high they are on him so i i think the texans intend to make david johnson you know something close to to their workhorse running back i mean carlos hyde in this offense last season ranked top 12 in the nfl on both carries and rushing yards hot you know hyde hyde was good last year better than i expected i don't think he was like this elite running back i think i think it's possible that david johnson basically matches what Hyde did on the ground last year. And then we know, you know, again, even last year, he was still effective in the passing game. So I I do think he's going to do more, you know, definitely do more than what Carlos Hyde did as a pass catcher last year.
0: First off, Houston got a second round pick in addition to David Johnson for DeAndre Hopkins.
1: They also gave away a couple picks too. I mean, it it was, I mean, it wasn't, you know, again, it wasn't Hopkins for DJ straight up, but I mean, that, that was, that was the crux of the deal.
0: No, I think the crux of the deal was DeAndre Hopkins for a second-round pick plus David Johnson. I mean, the picks that they gave back were not close to that level of value. Yeah, I mean, fair. I mean, fair. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so I just figured I'd address that first because I don't, I don't, I think that chips away a little bit at maybe their view of David Johnson, but certainly the trade indicates, and Bill O'Brien's words indicate that he thinks David Johnson is uh, like a gem that he got. I think that he's insane. I believe that David Johnson has always been overrated as a runner, really by any measure. I mean, for his career, if you want to go by yards per carry, he's at 4.0 yards per carry for his career, 3.9 since 2016, which which was his first year as a full-time starter. If you look at PFF rushing grades, He has never had a rushing grade better than 70.1. That was all the way back in his rookie year. If you look at Football Outsiders numbers, he was below average in efficiency last year. He was way below average in efficiency in 2018. Uh, Carlos Hyde rated poorly in that category in 2018. He was still ahead of David Johnson. Hyde rated mid-pack among 45 qualifiers last year in Football Outsiders rating. Rushing efficiency, well ahead of David Johnson in that category last season. David Johnson has always been a better receiver than a runner, but that's the thing that Houston already has in place. Duke Johnson caught 44 passes last year. It was the first time, by the way, that a Texans running back has reached 40 catches since Arian Foster in 2012. That was before Bill O'Brien took over. It was long before Deshaun Watson got there. Lamar Miller, who most recently worked as you know the true feature back, the all-around back there, He only averaged 2.1 catches per game over his three years with the Texans. That comes out to about 33 to 34 over a full season. So we're talking about David Johnson, who has never really been a very good runner, is declining in that area. His better area already has somebody that he's going to have to share targets with in a place that has not been friendly for target volume. I want absolutely nothing to do with David Johnson this year unless he makes it to at least like round five.
1: Yeah, so again, if it's the David Johnson we got over the final two thirds of last season, then you know it's 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 trouble. But again, I'm I'm more optimistic that that you know that was the injuries and that if he's healthy, he he can bounce back. I agree. He's never been an efficient runner. I'm just not sure how much that matters. Volume is just so much more important, especially when we're talking about you know carries for running backs, so much more important than than you know yards per carry. And then you know with with the receiving stuff, O'Brien's history of not targeting running backs in the passing game is a concern. Hopefully. He, you know, again, he he paid all this for David Johnson. Hopefully, he realizes that you know he's at his best in the passing game. I think David Johnson a much better pass catcher than Lamar Miller. I think David Johnson's even a better pass catcher than than Duke Johnson. I I think the numbers bear that out. So I, I do expect DJ to you know be the pretty clear lead pass catcher ahead of Duke even this year.
0: I think a healthy David Johnson is unattractive here. I think the bottom, the very bottom of running back two range is where he belongs. I think that in general, betting on a 28 year old running back to rebound and also buck the history of a coach's uh, tendencies, I don't know, it just doesn't seem like a good bet to me. I just think you could be getting, you know, a 260,
1: 270 touch guy and he goes in the fourth round of fantasy drafts. So I'm going to, I'm going to gamble on that.
0: Leonard Fournette, speaking of touches, going to Pete, this is an argument going the opposite direction. Now, Fournette comes out low in our rankings. I I can't say that I'm all that uncomfortable, but I think the argument for Fournette is the same argument that you have for David Johnson, and the volume for him is easier to find because we only have to look back to last year. Fournette ranked second behind only Christian McCaffrey in touches per game last year. Not very efficient, and hasn't been very efficient through most of his career, but I mean, what's going to replace him really is the question. Like, I I don't love Leonard Fournette. I don't want to be excited about him, but I have a hard time pushing him too far down the list. The difference
1: between DJ and Leonard Fournette is the Texans obviously love David Johnson. The the Jags seem like they're done with Leonard Fournette. I think, you know, this is the last year of his deal and he's going to be gone after this. You know, he he was reportedly on the trade block, you know, throughout the offseason. They didn't find any takers, which isn't much of a surprise because, you know, Fournette was not very efficient last year. He finished running back seven in PPR points, but you know, that's because he was seventh in the league and carries fourth in targets. With Jacksonville not planning on Fournette being a part of their future, this being a team that's basically, re, you know, rebuilding, it, it's, you know, it might end up being the worst team in the NFL. I think there's at least a chance they, they reduce that volume. I think his passing game volume is definitely going to decline. He's not going to see another 100 targets. They added Chris Thompson this offseason who you know has six seasons of history with Jay Gruden in Washington. So he, he knows this offense. We'll see how long he can stay healthy. But I think when he is healthy, he's going to definitely cut into uh, Fournette's volume in the passing game. And then on the ground, I mean, we'll see. You know, I've heard that the Jags are high on Reich Armstead, who they drafted last year. He dealt with some injuries during his rookie season. I think he's at least an option to at least take some of that massive volume Fournette got last year.
0: Yeah, and I mean, you know, again, he's one where – our projections came in wildly different on him, but I don't care to argue him up to my point because really I would rather find a reason to dislike Leonard Fournette than to force everybody to bring him up to where I have him. I, 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 I kind of hope that they siphon some work away from him. Wherever it goes, I don't really care. I, I mean, I'm not betting on Raquel Armstead. 35 carries as a rookie. He never really did much at Temple either. He had one season where he was really Temple's true lead back. Uh, His final year there was a speed score winner. But I'm not sure how much there is to like there. I have have liked Chris Thompson, you know, for the 10 games that he's going to stay on the field. He's definitely going to take some receiving away. So this is one, again, kind of like Kenyon Drake, where a lot of times I would say, right, let's bet on this one because I think there's no way a guy's finishing below here. I hope that my numbers are wrong on Leonard Fournette and he comes in much lower.
1: This one's really just like a feel one for me. I just I don't I don't feel good about Fournette. You know, a team that doesn't really like him, a bad offense. Like it'd be easy to project him to get similar volume as last year, at least on the ground, and you know, still get you know fifty sixty targets. And then he is going to come out as a top ten running back. But um, you know, I just I just want to be low on Fournette because I, I just I don't really want much of this Jags offense. Look at the fact that, again, Fournette isn't really part of this team's plan. Um, Just just not a guy I'm super excited to draft.
0: Yeah, I think the downside to being low on him is that you get a season similar to last year where he's totally volume driven. And, you know, he's just a consistently good bet for touches. I don't think that the risk is you miss out on the season where he scores like 10 or 12 touchdowns and finishes third.
1: Exactly. And, and of course, you know, these rankings ca- can and, and will change. And if, you know, Fournette shows up the training camp in great shape and the coaches are all talking about him glowingly, then, you know, maybe he'll, he'll climb the rankings.
0: Let's move on to wide receiver, though, where we start again with the Cardinal, which seems to be a common theme here. And really, DeAndre Hopkins, it's the argument that I've already made. I mean, he goes from... Dominating target share in Houston to an offense that already has two wideouts in the range of 19 plus percent target share, you know, last year and beyond that for Larry Fitzgerald, especially. Kyler Murray might be a high ceiling passer, but he was nowhere close to Deshaun Watson last season. I don't know yet if he's going to be close to Deshaun Watson this season, so that's at least a question. And then the offense, as we've addressed, I have more of a question for the offense on whole.
1: Yeah. And this is a similar situation to Kyler Murray, where both of us are lower than consensus on DeAndre Hopkins. You're just a bit lower than I am. I mean, I have DeAndre Hopkins as my wide receiver five and he, he's a, he's a tier below the top four guys. And, you know, he, he tends to go as the second or third wide receiver off the board in fantasy draft. So I haven't been drafting DeAndre Hopkins. Um, I, it's also for me, tough to hate on him too much. I mean, again, I, I do think he's an elite receiver and I think he's joining an ascending offense and I think he's going to be you know the clear lead number one option in the passing game so I I don't hate the guy but you know he'd have to get to the middle of the second round or the late second round before I consider drafting him
0: yeah I don't hate him either he's just going too early for me so uh, I'm probably gonna end up with zero shares of DeAndre Hopkins this year Robert woods though will be on many of my teams he's 20th among wide receivers in may best ball 1080p so far but he's significantly higher than that in our rankings
1: this is one of the guys I almost don't want to talk about because i just want to be able to keep drafting Robert woods in like the fourth or fifth round of, of fantasy drafts um yeah he came in seventh for us among wide receivers in, in PPR points and i'm fine with him there do not do not draft robert woods at wide receiver seven again you can get him at you know wide receiver 15 and be and be you know pretty confident he's still going to be there. But uh, wide receiver seven in our rankings. Robert Woods finished 10th among wide receivers in PPR points back in 2018. He was 14th last year, despite scoring just two touchdowns. Robert Woods was eighth among wide receivers in targets last year, eighth in catches, 14th in yards. He he just had bad touchdown luck. That's going to regress it. Almost always does for these guys. Um, and, And Woods was especially good over the second half of last season where we really saw the Rams offense sort of morph into, you know, kind of a a base three wide receiver offense into more two tight end sets that that hurt Cooper cup. It did not hurt Robert Woods at all. He was awesome over his final seven games, averaged 11.3 targets per game, 7.4 catches, 95 receiving yards per game. That's encouraging. Now you have Brandon cooks leaving behind 72 targets from last season. You know, Josh Reynolds, maybe he soaks up the majority of those, but uh, Woods could definitely get a few extra targets. And then I think what people overlook with Robert Woods is the added production he gives you on the ground. He had 115 yards and one touchdown on 17 carries last year. He had 157 yards and one touchdown on the ground back in 2018. So if you, if you sort of give him even, you know, 100 or so yards and a score on the ground, that's a pretty
0: big boost. Yeah, so we each independently projected Woods into the top eight in PPR. So that made me even more comfortable with it. And, you know, the, the numbers say pick him in round two. Don't let him get past the 2-3 turn. But ADP says you can pretty much always get Robert Woods anywhere in round three. You'll usually be able to get him anywhere in round four. So like you said, you don't have to jump on him at that level if it makes you uncomfortable having him that high. He's the 49th player overall in best ball tens and ADP right now. The thing that I really don't get about his low ADP at this point is he's done it. I mean, he finished last year 14th among PPR receivers, despite scoring three total touchdowns. The year before that, he finished 10th among PPR receivers. So he's already been up there. We're not projecting him into a land that's far beyond what he has visited before. He, as you said, tore it up over the second half of last season. He went from a 19% target share before the buy to 26.4% after the buy. And as you mentioned, they shifted the offense in that range. The Rams have indicated that they're going to continue playing offense along those lines. Fewer three wide receiver sets, less of that 11 personnel we've come to know and more of the two tight ends. It didn't hurt Robert Woods at all. I don't see why it would hurt him going forward to have fewer receivers on the field. I think that he is being drastically overlooked at this point.
1: Yeah, totally. He, he's just he's just not a sexy player, so I don't expect ADP to rise too much. I think he's going to remain a pretty big value throughout drafting season.
0: Uh, Juju Smith-Schuster is next on the list, and his first two seasons in the league say that you should kind of overlook what happened last year and consider him a strong bounce-back candidate. The situation, though, makes me nervous with him. You know, what is Ben Roethlisberger going to look like when he comes back this year, besides Hagrid from the Harry Potter movies? Is Deontay Johnson ready for the kind of step-up that a lot of people seem to expect from him? Will there just be too many guys to spread targets around to? You know, we've got... Deontay Johnson, as I mentioned, James Washington, Chase Claypool arrived, Eric Ebron came in free agency, Vance McDonald's still there, the running backs will get some. And, you know, all of that in an offense that doesn't start out exciting. It's just a lot of questions for me on Juju.
1: My only question about Juju, and it's it's definitely a big one, but it's it, it's Ben Roethlisberger, And you know, 38-year-old quarterback coming off, throwing elbow surgery. It's definitely A question and that that's why you know juju is like you know i don't know wide receiver 15 in our rankings versus you know wide receiver eight if you know we had a healthy big ben i'm not too concerned about the target competition i think a healthy juju is clearly the best wide receiver in pittsburgh still i mean i think it's easy it's easy to forget how good he was over his first two NFL seasons because of what happened last year, but I'm basically throwing last year out completely. You know, the crappy quarterback play with with Duck Hodges and Mason Rudolph. Juju was banged up too for most of the season. He he hurt his toe in week one. Didn't miss any time with the injury, but you know we know toe injuries can be tough. Um, he suffered a foot injury in November. Suffered a concussion and a knee injury later in November. Ended up missing four games with that one. So again, I'm just throwing that out. But you look back to his first two seasons. 58 catches, 917 yards, and seven scores as a rookie. 111 catches, over 1,400 yards, and seven touchdowns in year two. Juju is top 10 in NFL history in both catches and receiving yards through his first two NFL seasons. So I, I still definitely believe in the player, like I said, and like you said. Big Ben is, is the question, but if he's healthy, I, I feel pretty confident in Juju having a, a big bounce-back season.
0: The final challenge for me with Juju is where he's going. And in ADP, Adam Thielen is right behind him. I feel like Adam Thielen's a higher floor option right now. Calvin Ridley is right behind them. It just feels a little safer to me than Juju Smith-Schuster right now. And then Robert Woods, Tyler Lockett are significantly behind them. So, you know, even if like Thielen's gone or I'm not looking receiver out, like I I can wait another round or two and take those guys who I like, each of them straight up versus Juju right now.
1: Yeah, and I like all those guys too. So I wouldn't argue too much against it. I I I do think Juju has a higher ceiling than than I think all those guys. And you just you you know I think Juju, where's he going? It's like late third or early fourth round, right?
0: In ADP. Yeah, somewhere in that range.
1: Yeah, I mean, it just it just feels like he could give you a pretty big profit on on that price tag. I mean, the guy was a first round pick last summer, but essentially in this same situation with a healthy Ben Roethlisberger.
0: I mean, I I can't argue against him because it might be that last year is just something that we need to throw out and he yep. is for real. So, you know, we'll see where it goes with him. Terry McLaurin, on the other hand, is somebody that I'm definitely arguing against, but I'll let you start by giving us the case for him.
1: The case is I think he's a good player, and I think he's set up for, for big volume. McLaurin was really good as a rookie last year. 58 catches, 919 yards, 7 touchdowns, finished wide receiver 29 in PPR points. On a Redskins team that ranked 32nd in pass yards, 28th in pass touchdowns. Um, among 79 wide receivers with 50-plus targets last year, McLaurin was 11th best in yards per target. He was 14th best in yards per route run. Um, now you head into 2020. I, I think... Behind McLaurin, I think Washington has pretty easily the worst pass catching core in the league. It's Steven Sims, Kelvin Harmon, fourth round rookie Antonio Gandy Golden at wide receiver. It's Jeremy Sprinkle, Logan Thomas, and undrafted rookie Thaddeus Moss at tight end. I mean, I I I think McLaurin really should dominate targets on this team. You know, I projected him for a twenty four percent target share. I think it could even climb above that. Just when you look at the other the other options in this passing game, the concern obviously is Washington's offense is probably going to be bad again. I, I know that. I think it could at least be a bit better than it was last season, though. I mean, Dwayne Haskins comes in, you know, late in his rookie season and struggles. Um, I think, you know, hopefully with with a full offseason, you know, he is a guy that was a first round pick, had a huge final season at Ohio State. I, I, I still think there's definitely hope that Dwayne Haskins is the answer for Washington.
0: I think it's possible that your hope for McLaurin pays off. That said, I'm not betting on him any, to anywhere near the level. So last year, he was a top 14 fantasy receiver over the first six weeks. From that point on, though, he was about wide receiver 45 across formats. He ranked 55th in the league in receptions per game. And McLaurin put up lower touchdown rates and uh, yards per catch with Dwayne Haskins as quarterback than he did with Case Keenum. Small sample, but, you know, it's what we have to go on with him so far. And the other problem is, the bigger problem, I think, is that his whole first season is still a small sample. I mean, maybe it's the start of somebody who's just a stud in the NFL and outplays what he did in college. But just because a guy does some good in the NFL doesn't mean that we can start immediately ignoring the factors that we look at in college players when we're projecting him for, like, dynasty leagues and, you know, early NFL production. Uh, Drew Osenchuk had a, a good thread on this on Twitter the other day. He's at DF bean counter. Um, and I did, I retweeted that in case you want to go see it, but, he looked back over some big rookie year performers at wide receiver in recent seasons, highlighting some who panned out beyond that and some who fell off, recounted their college resumes, and of course, we can all think of some surprise rookie performers who let us down after that. We have examples. Robert Foster, Dante Pettis, Kiki Cutie are some recent guys who busted after flashing as rookies. On a larger scale, if we're looking at guys who really had big seasons like McLaurin did last year... Michael Clayton for the 2004 bucks, Mike Williams for the 2010 bucks, Kelvin Benjamin for the Panthers, Eddie Royal back with the Broncos. I mean, even in McLaurin's own class, we had Debo Samuel, DK Metcalf, posting basically the same fantasy scores. And each of those guys has a better quarterback, better offense. So if I'm betting on on any of those guys, I feel better about betting on those players than McLaurin, who I, I referred to the, the college, um, you know, the college production, he was fourth on his own team in catches in his final Ohio State season, was not a market share winner in college, was not a breakout age winner because he never really had a true breakout season in college. So all of that, it doesn't make me hate McLaurin and I, I think he's fine where he's going in ADP. I just don't see any reason to bet ahead of ADP on him
1: yeah fair points about the lack of college production I mean he definitely didn't check those boxes I I would say you know he's playing in that pretty loaded Ohio State passing game you know we saw Michael Thomas didn't post big college numbers and you know we see what he's doing in the NFL um McLaurin did check the athleticism box you know he tested as an 88th percentile athlete with the you know 4-4 speed um yeah he was also picked 76th overall you know early third round so he he got the draft capital so I I think there's reason to believe that he's better than what he showed in college also again i think the efficiency i i would like to go back um and look at some of those players drew pointed out and see how they fare than like yards per target and yards per route run as a rookie because i know you know mclaurin's uh yards per route run as a rookie is one of the best marks we've seen in recent history so that that makes me confident in him going forward
0: yeah, I forget what the exact stat was that he focused on, if it was yards per route. I think it was yards per route, but it's, it's definitely worth looking at. I read through the whole thing, and it was interesting because it popped up right after I saw your ranking on McLaurin as we were getting ready to argue about him at the projections party. So it was it was uh, good timing, and I recommend going and checking it out if you can find it. He's at DFB Encounter on Twitter. For here, we'll move on to some other receivers and somebody who became my boy during the during the Projections Party, probably more than I realized that he was going to be, but Tyler Lockett. And I don't know. I guess let, let me turn it over to you first to give uh, whatever your case is on Tyler Lockett.
1: Yeah, and I, I definitely don't want to be the anti Tyler Lockett guy. I mean, I, I have loved him. We both loved him coming into the league, and you know, he's he's proven correct there. And you know, he, he's been a strong fantasy producer, and uh, especially last year. I think you know, last year, I think people forget too. He had that leg injury in Week Ten. He had the compartment syndrome, a pretty serious injury and and, um he 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 didn't miss any games but if you just look at the the box score and like the the volume you can tell it was an issue for the two games following that leg injury he had one catch for 38 yards in the first game after the injury then a goose egg in the following game if you remove those two games though lockett averaged 5.9 catches per game 76 yards 0.56 touchdowns per game so he, he was he was awesome last year when healthy, he beat DK Metcalf in volume, in yardage, in touchdowns per game when he was healthy. He beat DK Metcalf in yards per target, yards per route run, PFF receiving grade. The thing that makes me a bit lower on Lockett than you, I think, and a bit higher on Metcalf is I just think we have to project a bit here. And I think in Tyler Lockett, you know, he's a 28 year old, 60 year pro. You know, this is going to be a 60s. And I, I just think we've, we've seen what Tyler Lockett is, we've seen his ceiling. I don't think we've seen DK Metcalf ceiling yet, you know, and he he did have an impressive rookie season, you know, 900 yards, uh, I think it was seven or eight touchdowns and did that as a 21 year old rookie. Uh, I just think you look at a guy who, you know, should be on the, on the ascent with his size, with his a- athleticism. I would, I would not be shocked if DK Metcalf outproduces Tyler Lockett this season.
0: I disagree with the notion. It's the second time I've heard it today that we have seen Tyler Lockett ceiling. Maybe we have, but He's 28. That's that's prime at receiver. That's not somebody yeah. that got that's crested the hill and he's on the way back down. So, I think we're seeing what Tyler Lockett is now. He spent most of his career dealing with injuries, dealing with Doug Baldwin and not realizing his full potential. 2 years ago, he gave us the huge touchdown rate that kind of outscored what he really got, and we were waiting for some regression. Instead, his targets came way up last year. And, you know, you mentioned the splits between uh, before and after that leg injury. He went from 6.2 catches, 79.3 yards, and 0.6 touchdowns per game before that injury to 3.3, 44 yards, and just a third of a touchdown per game. So, I mean, it's possible that without that leg injury, we could have gotten an entire season of what he was doing over those first 10 games. And then maybe we would have seen the ceiling for Tyler Lockett. I I, I think he gets undersold for his talent. And I don't think that you necessarily need to knock DK Metcalf even to like Tyler Lockett. I think one is more proven in the NFL. We'll see about the other guy. It's certainly possible that Metcalf takes another step up this year, but it's also possible that takes a step back before, even even if it ends up being a terrific career beyond that. Uh, There have been plenty of previous guys that we've seen. There's plenty of precedent to show us that it's not automatic that somebody who plays well as a rookie plays better as a second year pro.
1: Yeah, that's fair. And again, I'm not suggesting Tyler Lockett is on the decline at all. I'm just saying, you know, Lockett compared to Metcalf, I think, I think I'd be surprised if Lockett becomes like a much better player at this point of his career. He he might even have a better statistical season at some point in his career. I, I just don't think he's still on the ascent as a player where I think Metcalf probably is, but I'm, I'm with you. You know, I think Lockett, even in my rankings came out a bit above consensus and Metcalf came out a bit below consensus, which again, it's, it's a bit scary. Because I do think Metcalf has the ceiling, but um,
0: Lockett is the guy I, I would draft first at this point. Yeah, I mean, for me, Lockett is the safe one here. And I'm not, I don't use safe as a bad word here because I, again, I think he's undersold as a talent. I don't think he needs to improve as an NFL player from this point. I think he can be this this same guy. And if he can stay healthy, then he plus Russell Wilson is just going to, you know, continue to be dynamic.
1: Yeah, I agree that Lockett's safer. And um, again, when you look at what he did when he was healthy last year, I don't I don't I'm not sure DK Metcalf's ceiling extends beyond that. So I'm I'm not even sure Metcalf has a significantly higher ceiling.
0: I did. I have not succeeded yet in locking in a Tyler Lockett versus Terry McLaurin bet with you, although I'm going to keep working on that. Are you ready to make that one yet? Well, for starters, you did make a beer bet
1: with Lenny on Lockett versus DK Metcalf. So you are already Mm -hmm. invested in Metcalf. Uh, or sorry, in Lockett. I don't want to bet against Tyler Lockett, so I don't want the McLaurin Lockett bet. We can maybe find another receiver to bet against McLaurin, or I'd rather just bet McLaurin, like, I don't know, top top 20 PPR wide receiver this year.
0: Yeah, we'll see about that. We'll keep working on McLaurin, but yeah, I I feel totally comfy putting something on the line with Tyler Lockett as my horse in the race. Not quite as comfy with T.Y. Hilton, but I definitely like T.Y. Hilton versus ADP coming into this season. He's 28th in May wide receiver ADP and best Ball 10 drafting. He finished 37th in PPR points per game last year. Uh, obviously a low point for him in his career. The next lowest was way back in his rookie season where he was wide receiver 31 in PPR. In between We saw finishes of wide receiver 14, 27, 5, 23, 11, 18. So most of T.Y. Hilton's career was way better than where he's being drafted right now. His two worst seasons, um, if you throw out that rookie one, were these past two seasons when Jacoby Brissett was the starter. Not the past two years, but 2019 and 2017. So Jacoby Brissett's out of the lineup. They signed Phillip Rivers. He looked like a a declining player last year, but if you go by... Pro football focus grades, if you go by football outsiders numbers, the decline I don't think was as large as it's being sold. I think at the very least, Phillip Rivers is a passing upgrade on Jacoby Brissett. And I think T.Y. Hilton is well set up to be a target target magnet for the Colts this season.
1: Definitely could be. Hilton is a guy I am concerned that he's sort of declining at this point. He's a he's an undersized speed receiver. He turns 31 in November. He's missed two and then six games over the last two seasons now. so That's a slight concern for me. Rivers is a slight concern for me. I, I agree he's probably an upgrade over Jacoby Brissett, but he is 38 years old. If, if he takes another step back from what we saw last year, it is going to be an issue, I think, for the Colts. And I do also still expect Indy to be a run leaning offense you know they, they spent they spent an early second round pick on Jonathan Taylor when they really didn't need to add a running back so I, I do think they still want to lean that way so even if Hilton is the clear lead guy in this passing game and I, and I expect him to be you know I don't think you're going to get 130 140 target season out of him so just, I, I'm not I'm not opposed to you by Hilton I wouldn't be shocked at all if he you know finishes as wide receiver 18 this year um, he's, he's just not a guy I, I can get super excited to draft
0: Mm-hmm. I think he's a pretty good bet for 130 targets as long as he stays healthy. Uh,
1: I mean, I I think I had him for like 115 or something like again. I I just, I just I don't think it's going to be a super high volume passing game.
0: Mm-hmm. I can agree with that. Emmanuel Sanders next on the list. I was actually surprised at how low he came out in your projections.
1: I was surprised too. Um, I I want to be higher on him, and, and we did we did raise him. Um, to, to me, it's just it's just it was tough to find Sanders targets. Um, if you look at the Saints over the past three seasons, wide receivers not named Michael Thomas ha- have seen the following target shares over the past three seasons: twenty five point five percent, twenty three point five percent, fifteen point seven percent. That's for all wide receivers not named Michael Thomas. Th- those are super low target shares. If you're not you know familiar with, with you know projections and, and uh, wide receiver target shares, now Emmanuel Sanders obviously significantly better than any of those other wide receivers the saints had over the past three seasons so i do think he's gonna you know get more than ted ginn or, or TreQuan smith ha- have been getting but i mean michael thomas is still there obviously he- he's probably not going to see 32 percent of the targets again but i wouldn't expect a huge drop off you know i think i had him for like 27 28 percent jared cook is back he's better than what the Saints had at tight end over the past few seasons. So I think he's still going to see a significant target share. Alvin Kamara, obviously, he, he actually saw he, his 16.6 target share, 16.6% target share last year was actually his lowest of the past three years. He was at 20 and 19% the previous two seasons. I would think the ankle injury he he dealt with played a part in that. So I think, again, I think Kamara is going to take, you know, 18 to 20%. So it's just, it's just like, where are the targets going to come for Emmanuel Sanders for him to be someone we can rely on in fantasy lineups.
0: I certainly expect Michael Thomas to be the clear leader again. He was my number one receiver across formats. He comes out well ahead, but I think Alvin Kamara and Emmanuel Sanders are going to be pretty close at 2-3. I gave 19% to Kamara in my projections, 18% to Emmanuel Sanders. Jared Cook only drew 13.1% last year in the 14 games he played. And even if you take out the game he left early, he was only at 13.5%. I don't think he's headed for a larger share than that. You know, I, I found the same small numbers for number two Saints wide receivers recently that you did. But it's been a while since they had a a real, true number two wide receiver. And I think that's why they went to get Emmanuel Sanders. I think it's a direct indictment on uh, Traquan Smith, who disappointed wildly last year. Only got 2.3 targets per game last year. So I don't think he's getting a whole lot. We have to look back to 2016 for the last time that they had a decent number two receiver, and that was when Michael Thomas led the team, Brandon Cooks was second, and Willie Sneed also joined them over 100 targets. I think Emmanuel Sanders is a solid bet to get to uh, right around 100 targets. Maybe there's upside beyond that. We've seen the Saints trend downward in the number of targets that they send to their wide receivers. Over the past several years, three straight years, they've trended downward in that category. I think they signed Emmanuel Sanders because they want to change that significantly this season. I don't think they're going to jump from fifth smallest in the league, which is what they were last year, Mm -hmm. to like fifth most. But I think that they want to grow it enough where Emmanuel Sanders is going to get into that 90 to 100 range at least.
1: Yeah, de- definitely possible. And if he gets there, I I, you know, I do think he'll be a valuable fantasy asset. Because I do expect him to be super efficient with you know the the talent he is and playing with Drew Brees with Sean Payton. Do, do you have Sanders ADP in front of you by any chance?
0: Yeah, he is forty seventh in May ADP at the position, which yeah. is even like eight spots lower than he came out for me.
1: Yeah, he, he's totally fine at that cost. When the signing happened, I sort of thought. Oh, everyone's going to see Emmanuel Sanders as the clear number two with Drew Brees, and they're going to you know think he's going to be like a wide receiver two, which uh, I would have been fading at that cost. But if you can get him as a you know almost a wide receiver five at that point, I, I definitely think he's he's a fine pick.
0: Yeah, I agree. I was waiting for him to be like wide receiver 30, at least, because even if you don't dig way into the numbers, I do think that anywhere in wide receiver four range is certainly a good place to bet on a Drew Brees starting receiver. I mean, Brees is old now, but he's also still led the league in completion rate for three straight years. He's coming off the best touchdown rate of his career. He is perennially strong still in yards per attempt. So even just Drew Brees receiver is good to bet on.
1: Yep. Yeah, and I, and I think Sanders has plenty left too. You know, even coming off that serious injury, he, he was he was he was solid last year.
0: Tight end Tyler Higby is a player of interest. Not a big argument player yesterday, but a, a guy that is going to be a point of interest at tight at the position for this season. What do you think of Tyler Higby? So before I did
1: projections, I was like totally out on Tyler Higby as like I don't know. I think he's like tight end eight or tight end nine in ADP. After doing projections, I think I'm at least I'm at least okay with that price and I might even have him you know, a spot or two higher. Um you know, we know Higbee was was incredible down the stretch last season. Averaged 11.2 targets, 8.6 catches, 104 yards per game over the final 5. That didn't happen until Gerald Everett got hurt, which is obviously concerning and Everett's back this season, but if if you look, I mean, the Rams signed Higbee to a 4-year, 29 million dollar extension last September. Everett's on the final year of his rookie deal, and you know we haven't heard anything about the Rams wanting to you know keep him in the mix. So that to me suggests that Higby probably is the guy heading into 2020. At least I guess, especially after what we saw at the end of last season. But this is definitely going to be an offense to watch closely this summer because they they did make again such a shift from you know being this three wide receiver team for really the first you know two and a half seasons under Sean McVay to over the second half of the last season they re- they really started. Featuring the tight ends. Um, I think the fact that they traded away Brandon Cooks suggests they're probably going to remain a bit more tight end centric. And again, if that's the case, I think Higby can be a value even where he's going, but it's definitely an offense that we might be making some pretty major adjustments to our projections based on what we're hearing and seeing this summer.
0: Yeah, I mean, yeah. everybody who was watching and playing knows that he was awesome to finish last season, Higby. Uh, it, it is worth remembering that it was just like a five-game stretch where he was terrific, and as you said, it came after Gerald Everett was hurt. Gerald Everett was the guy who looked like he was about to break out before that. But also, as you mentioned, there was a contract extension for Higby, so they believe in him. I came out a little bit lower on Higby, but he's not somebody that I'm arguing down from, you know, if he's seventh, if somebody has him sixth or seventh. I don't think that – I'm not arguing him down to 10th from there because I think there's certainly room for him to even just do a modified version of what he did late last season. I do expect their offense to stay – Trending the way that it was late last season where there are more tight ends on the field. And even if it, even if they play a little bit more of the three receiver sets than they're planning to at this point, Tyler Higbee has always been the better blocker than Gerald Everett. So I'm not too worried about him losing stuff to Gerald Everett or even losing stuff to wide receivers. I, I'm probably not going to be the one drafting him because in the same range where he's going, I am an Evan Engram fan, but I haven't been able to tell anybody that they're drafting Tyler Higbee too high yet.
1: Right. Because to me, once you get beyond Travis Kelsey, George Kittle, Zach Ertz and Mark Andrews, that whole next group of tight ends all have question marks, whether it's injuries or quarterback play or, you know, the, the offense like it is with Higby. So um, he, he's he's just in that mix for me. He, there's some risk there. But, you know, we, we all obviously saw the upside late last season.
0: Rob Gronkowski is a guy going in the similar range, but I think has a lot more risk. It was two years ago when we last saw him play. Even then, he finished tight end 11 in total PPR points. He was tight end 9 in points per game. He only scored three touchdowns. He was fourth on the Patriots that season in catches per game behind James White, Julian Edelman, and Josh Gordon. Now Gronk lands in an offense that has Mike Evans and Chris Godwin in place. The Bucs only finished mid-pack in the league and target share for tight ends last year. You know, we were all disappointed by O.J. Howard, who only had 2.4 catches per game. Obviously, Bruce Arians is not a fan, and we have to assume from signing Gronk that they like Rob Gronkowski better than O.J. Howard. That said, they haven't traded O.J. Howard yet, and they did pick up his fifth-year option. So they clearly don't leather for net-level hate him. So he's still there to take something. Again, it's been two years. It's too much for me to take Rob Gronkowski inside the top 10.
1: Yeah, I'm, I'm. I mean, I'm with you. The risk is obviously huge, and we're we're all just guessing on Gronk at this point, especially you know until we see him get on the field in training camp and in preseason. Hopefully, I mean, he's obviously past his prime. He's not you know the Hall of Fame level tight end. He he was a few years ago. I mean, you said it though. He still finished tight end nine in PPR points per game in 2018. I, I think that you know that that kind of shows you how low the bar is at tight end, and, and and he did that on just on just the three touchdowns on on 47 catches which is a, a low touchdown rate for any tight end, especially low for Gronkowski. Gronk also that year, back in 2018, he finished eighth in yards per route rung among uh, 28 tight ends with 40-plus targets. So he, he was still, you know, at that point, an above-average pass-catching tight end. So if he, can, if he can just get back to that level even, I, I do think he's going to be the clear lead tight end in, in Tampa. I, I do think he's going to see more volume than O.J. Howard did last year because Tom Brady's there. I mean, t- Tom Brady literally made that move, made Gronk coming out of retirement and, and, you know, coming to Tampa. Brady made that move happen from what we've read. Um, So I I think if he's, if his body allows it, he's going to be a a decent part of this passing game.
0: Yeah. My concern, if, if I do a full fade on Gronk is that he has a season that's like 50 catches and 10 of them are touchdowns. I think that is, you know, that that's the ceiling with him.
1: Right. I think I think if you're talking about him as like a low end tight end one, he's riskier. He's much riskier than most of those guys. But I think his ceiling beats the, the majority of those guys.
0: I would be more attracted to drafting him if he were going 14th or 15th, because I think, yeah. you know, in that case, I could say, yeah, but he could do this. If he's going eighth or ninth, I could say, yeah, but maybe he's just done.
1: Yeah, I'm with you there. And um, like unless he gets hurt this summer, I, it's kind of hard to imagine his ADP dropping from where it is now.
0: Blake Jarwin, on the other hand, his ADP doesn't need to drop anywhere, and I hope that it doesn't come up too much. He's been my baby for a while, and it seems like now we're about to start raising him together. We've talked about the volume that's coming his way, and it's easy to see Randall Cobb left, Jason Witten left, so even with CeeDee Lamb in the mix, there are enough targets available. All you have to do at tight end is get to 80 targets, and you're top 12 at the position in that category. So we don't need 100, even though I think that that's within the the realm of possibilities for him. Blake Jarwin's been efficient to this point, 12th among tight ends in yards per target since he arrived in the league in 2017. That's all tight ends that have seen 50-plus targets. Even if you drop it to 40-plus targets in that time frame, he's still 16th in that group. The big selling point is that Jarwin's not a part-time pass catcher anymore this year. He's their lead tight end because they let Jason Witten walk. They extended Blake Jarwin. The extension might look bigger than it actually is. It really, the way that the cap hits break down, it might just be a two-year trial for him. But either way, he's the lead tight end in an offense that I really want to bet on this year. Yeah, I mean,
1: De- Dallas could have just extended Jarwin in an original round, restricted free agent tender, and he would have been super cheap this season. You know, it's unlikely any other team would have tried to sign him away. So e- even if the contract extension wasn't huge, and it, and it wasn't, I mean, even if you just look at the entire contract, it's $5.5 million per season on average that puts Jarwin like 20th among tight ends. So it's not this like huge, huge extension, but I do think it shows that they're confident in him. And like you said, with how efficient he's been, Jarwin was ninth among 56 tight ends with 20 plus targets last year in yards per route run. So I think he's capable of cashing in on this increased opportunity. I'm I'm with you. I think this Dallas passing game is one we're going to want to get a piece of. And Jarwin is just going super late in drafts. Jarwin and and Woods were the two guys I I like. I, I, I don't want to talk about them because I just want their ADPs to stay where they are.
0: All right, so I'll delete that portion when (laughs) I edit the podcast before I post it. But yeah, Jarwin's very easy to like, especially at ADP. Dallas Goddard, I smiled when I saw your projection for him because I have wanted him down in that range uh, since, I don't know, way back before we were doing projections. We were just talking about early rankings for 2020, and then I found that you agreed with me. Dale
1: Goddard is my is my um, Nick Chubb at tight end. Where I think he's an awesome player. I wish I could like him more, but I I just you can't you can't project the volume that that he is going to need to you know finish where he's being drafted. At. I think he's like right in, right around tight end twelve in ADP last year. Goddard saw the eighty seven targets, but he was still out targeted by Zach It's one hundred thirty five to eighty seven, so Ertz, cl- still the clear lead tight end here, and you you just you can't expect. Thirty-six percent of the Eagles' targets to go to these two guys again this season. We just don't see two tight ends soak up that much of the target share. The, the league average for tight ends is twenty-one percent per team. I think Philly's going to remain above that, um, but to expect them to remain at thirty-six percent again with you know what will hopefully be a healthier wide receiver core. You know Deshaun Jackson hopefully healthier. Alshon Jeffrey, we'll see about him. They added Jalen Rager. They added Marquise Goodwin. More targets are going to go to the wide receivers this season, and I think uh, a chunk of those are going to come from
0: Goddard. And Dallas Goddard specifically loaded up on targets late last year. A quarter of his targets for the entire season came in the final two games of the year 49 of his 87 targets came over the final six games. That stretch, of course, there were already the injuries at wide receiver that kept Deshaun Jackson and Alshon Jeffrey out. Had Greg Ward become a fantasy factor. Jordan Howard was out, so they were throwing the ball more with one of their top running backs out. And then even Zach Ertz got hurt at the end of the season. So really, everything came together for Dallas Goddard to have a big finish in targets. And he delivered. He's a good player. I like Mm -hmm. him as well. I just, the targets aren't there. I don't think that it's going to happen for him. If you could draft him at, at tight end 18, then sure. There's upside from there, but top 12, it just doesn't make sense. Yep, exactly. Irv Smith versus Jace Sternberger was not an argument that we should have had, but we <laughs> did. So why don't you tell me why Irv Smith is the guy?
1: Yeah, I mean, I'm not even sure we had had an argument. I think we both like both guys. I guess you prefer Sternberger. I prefer Irv Smith at this point, just because we we saw him have a pretty solid rookie season, especially you know by, by tight end standards um and and he did it alongside Kyle Rudolph, who isn't this stud, but he's like an established solid NFL tight end. Um, If you look at the final 12 games of last season, um, including the playoffs for Minnesota, Irv Smith basically pulled into like an even timeshare with Cal Rudolph. It was 47 targets for Rudolph to 42 for Irv Smith, 36 catches for Rudolph, 32 for Irv Smith. And again, you know, that that's Rudolph an established veteran versus Irv Smith, a 21 year old rookie tight end. So I think you you look at Irv Smith and you know, how, how efficient he was at Alabama what he did last year, the fact that Minnesota spent the 50th overall pick on him just a year ago, I think you can sort of project him to pass up Kyle Rudolph as the lead tight end in Minnesota, and, and this should still be an offense that does you know lean on the tight end more than average, um, especially when you consider you know it's Adam Thielen, rookie Justin Jefferson, and not much else at wide receiver.
0: Yeah, for what it's worth, Kyle Rudolph and Irv Smith were pretty much even in target share when Adam Thielen was playing. When Adam Thielen was out, it was Kyle Rudolph who actually got the bigger boost in targets. I don't know what to make of that. You know, Adam Thielen's back. Maybe that brings them back down. I'm not going to argue for anybody to take Kyle Rudolph ahead of Irv Smith. I also, though... I'm not ready to say for sure that Irv Smith is going to outscore or out target Kyle Rudolph this year. I mean, Rudolph beat him in yards per catch and average depth of target last year. So it was a nice debut for Irv Smith. I think I came away a little bit less impressed than you guys. He definitely wins on upside. That said, I wouldn't bet on Irv Smith ranking higher than fourth on this team in targets. And we're talking about a low volume passing game. So for me, even though I haven't seen it in the NFL from Jay Sternberger, I, we, we both loved him coming into the league. He dominated as a receiver in his final college season, and he plays for a Green Bay team where he could be the number two target this year. I'm not saying he definitely will be, but it's it, it's a clearer path for him against Devin Funchess and Alan Lazard for those two, three spots behind Devontae Adams than it is, I think, for Irv Smith in Minnesota. I'm definitely with you that Sternberger has the higher ceiling
1: because like you said, he, he could finish second on this Aaron Rodgers led team in targets. And I think Irv, you know, best case, he's like battling Justin Jefferson to be like the, you know, the number two. Again, I guess along with Dalvin Cook. So, you know, that it's there's there's definitely more volume upside for Sternberger. And, you know, really there's not much to me separating them as prospects. Again, we we just we got to see Irv Smith a bit more. And for Sternberger, it was just because he had that uh, preseason ankle injury that you know he he landed on short-term IR and then couldn't really get involved down the stretch so tough to hold that against him too much but again Irv just has the one season of experience under his belt at this point at least
0: yeah I would I would be more hesitant with Sternberger if there was something blocking him in his position but they let Jimmy Graham walk and then mm-hmm. all they added really was Josiah DeGuara who they say they're going to play in the Kyle juice check role yeah so For me, down there, it's all about ceiling. And I think Jay Sternberger is one of the top ceiling candidates at this position.
1: Yeah. The the nice thing about Smith and Sternberger is they both remained pretty cheap in drafts. Like, you know, people aren't baking in like the the upside of them potentially breaking out in in their second season. So you can get both of them at reasonable prices. And going back to Rudolph, I I think he's still a value too, because I do think there's a chance he stays ahead of Er Smith this season. And even if he doesn't, like Rudolph could finish as, you know, like tight end 18, even if Irv Smith passes him up and Rudolph tends to go much later than that. I know I just got him like the 15th round of an FFPC draft.
0: Yeah, he's been a decent red zone target, at least. And losing Stefan Diggs is certainly not going to hurt his chances of being an option there. Yep. That's going to do it for this post projections party episode of the podcast. Head over to DraftSharks.com now, and you can check out all of our offensive projections and rankings for the season and start seeing how they fit together in your customized MVP draft board. But you can only see that if you're a DS insider. So jump on board now. Let us be your unfair advantage for the season. You can also find us on Twitter. We are at DraftSharks. Jared is at SmolaDS. I am at SchaufDS. It's S-C-H-A-U-F. For Jared Smola and the rest of the Draft Sharks crew, I'm Matt Schauf. saying thanks so much for swimming with us.